0: Few years after I planted New Song Church in Windsor, Ontario, nine years to be exact, uh, I came to the realization that uh, the sheer economics of pastoring an urban church required that in addition to the full-time pastoring, I also needed to work part-time uh, to, uh, to support my family. And uh, at first uh, I was a little disappointed that I had to uh, go back into part-time work uh, in addition to pastoring but uh, it turned out to be a blessing in disguise. Uh, that year in 2002 uh, I uh, talked to a friend of mine Steve Green and at the time Steve was uh, managing a uh, community um, support house in Chatham Ontario called Hand in Hand and uh he invited me to come and work with him one day a week. And so I went to Hand in Hand Counseling Center and uh, assisted with some administration. Uh, I did uh, do some uh, light counseling with, with some individuals that were there and uh, got exposed to something called the Reintegration Program. The Reintegration Program uh, was a, uh, an initiative to help uh, men, in particular who are coming out of prison, be reintegrated back into the communities. Most people, when they think about prisoners going away for some heinous crime or some terrible thing that they've done, uh, some people have the attitude of, you know, lock the doors, throw away the key, they should just rot in jail. But the truth of the matter is, that uh, every sentence uh, has a conclusion. It's a rarity that a person will spend all of their days uh, in jail. So coming out of prison, uh, many men in the Chatham area uh, would come uh, to the services of hand in hand. Well, uh, then a year later in 2003, I was invited to become the chaplain at St. Leonard's House Windsor. And uh, the the St. Leonard's Halfway House, uh, if you're watching the video, you can see it in the background behind me. Uh, This is not the original building. The original building uh, that started in in the late 60s began by a priest, an Anglican priest named Neil Libby. And St. Leonard's House Windsor became the first federal halfway house in canada and uh, so for five years from 2003 to 2008 i served as the house chaplain and uh, it was just the perfect part-time job every pastor uh, that has a heart for the community sometimes has a tension between the work of the church and uh, the needs of the congregants uh, but then also this this other larger picture of our calling to be people who care for the community. Well, as I went to work in Chatham and then at St. Leonard's House Windsor, I soon discovered that this was the perfect way to blend a heart for the community with a pastoral responsibility. And uh, so many evenings I would spend uh, with, with men from the house. Uh, sometimes it was taking them for coffee, sometimes it was taking them out uh, to shop or to see a movie. And uh, some of the things that had been so uh, removed from their life while they were incarcerated, uh, needed to, they needed, a, they needed a path, a path back into living healthy in a community. I always remember one thing that I was, was taught uh, in my early years of chaplaincy, and it was that the greatest uh, factor in preventing recidivism, or men going back to jail repeatedly, the greatest factor to prevent someone from going back was the presence of having one good friend in their life. Well, uh, as, uh, as it would have it, I um, had um, the opportunity to be that good friend and to watch several men uh, not return. Well, when that time came to an end, the man that followed me was Riley McLaren. Riley McLaren is still the chaplain at St. Leonard's House, has been here since uh, 2013, I believe. And in the interview today, I'm going to be talking to Riley about uh, his work, but also some of the things uh, related to the work he's done uh, with, with sex offenders in the community. So I think that uh, you're going to enjoy hearing uh, what Riley has to say. Um, Riley is, uh, is, is a brilliant thinker and a great communicator and uh, a man of compassion uh, who is serving people on their journey to wholeness. Let's go to that interview that I recorded last year in 2019 with Riley McLaren. Riley, a few years ago, uh, you moved to Windsor. Mm -hmm. Uh, You had come out of Heritage College in Cambridge where you were getting your theological training. You came and you worked at Southwood Community Church uh, on staff there, that's where we first met. And uh, then, I think that was 2008, that I first met you, and then 2010 you became the chaplain at St. Leonard's House, and uh, I think you were 26 years old when you became the chaplain at St. Leonard's House, a halfway house for men coming out of prison, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: and um, so let's, uh, let's maybe start there by talking about your entry into chaplaincy. Uh, what do you remember about those early days as you tried to figure out how to have a role in the lives of the men and the staff and the people surrounding the halfway house?
2: Yeah, I think it you know really starts with my move to Windsor mm-hmm. um, because at the time I remember breaking up with my girlfriend in Barrie and, uh, that's always and, a good way to, for life change. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, uh, packing all my things into a U-Haul, um, and accepting a, like, uh, uh, a meagerly paid part-time job down here in Windsor at a mm-hmm. church. And, uh, I remember, uh, crying for half the drive, uh, just like, what have I done? Kind of thing. I just, and immediately felt lonely, you know, coming down here and, Funny enough, uh, it just so happened that when I moved here, I think it was um, January, and I forget what year, but something, <laughs> something like that, and uh, the teachers were on strike, the auto industry was on strike, the city workers were on strike, so their garbage wasn't being picked up, <laughs> the, the parks weren't being cleaned up, were mowed, uh, so everything was overgrown, garbage is everywhere, the taxi drivers were on strike, and a number of other uh, groups were on strike and marching through the streets garbage everywhere grass and and overgrowth everywhere people were like angry and i think i, I felt like i was snake from escape from la <laughs> <laughs> you know it is like whoa, what have i done like oh god ah, why did you bring me here this is awful i grew up in the hill country of huntsville and muskoka and and yeah, so this is strange. Um, but I, you know, I slowly tried to find my way here and find uh, folks that I connected with, and and I ended up, you know, with uh, this chaplaincy position my young age. I'm, I remember going to these. This is when it was funded by the federal government. I remember going to these retreats chaplains across Ontario, I guess, mm-hmm. and, and across Canada, mm-hmm. and uh, institutional and community chaplains, and I was the youngest person, probably by about twenty years, for yeah. quite a while. Younger than some of their kids. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Yeah. And so I found out I was the youngest chaplain in federal corrections for a little while. Yeah. And so that was that was strange. <laughs> that was that was weird. But um, I felt like there was something special happening mm-hmm. in my life, and that I was being carried. Mm-hmm. Never really felt like I deserved anything in particular. Like, it, but things were given to me mm-hmm. um, to not only serve others, but for God to serve me through them and the people that I would care for. Um, when uh, uh, when you
0: entered into the halfway house and began to meet uh, men that had uh, committed all. Types of mm-hmm. crimes, uh, you know, everything from murder to uh, drug smuggling to offenses against uh, women and children, mm-hmm. just the whole gamut, right? And mm-hmm. and and the world tends to to put a particular spin on on sure. the bad guys. Uh, but what was it like for you as a 26 year old
2: entering into that environment? I think in, in some ways, um, I I've had a a lot of uh, hope
1: mm-hmm.
2: and uh, a lot of excitement. I wasn't afraid. Yeah, I wasn't particularly uncomfortable. That only came with like experience and knowledge. <laughs> yeah. I became Nauvety afraid and uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I kind of miss uh, some, some of those uh, that holy naivety. <laughs> uh, but one of the things that I discovered, like right off the hop. Is um, the folks that I was serving and working with were very normal. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't; they weren't particularly in, unusual. Yeah. Or. Not uh, like not like TV. No, no, not at all. They're not growling and seething, you know. Like, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, there was a, a commonness to mm-hmm. the whole thing, um, and I almost would forget what they did to mm-hmm. you know serve their time in prison or something and it really got me thinking a lot and it was kind of triggering that way because I realized that being in these circles reminded me a lot of my dad mm-hmm. and it reminded me a lot of my own family life
1: mm-hmm.
2: um, and so talk got, a bit yeah. about that wherever you're willing to share yeah it. sure you know um I grew up in a pretty broken home and uh, my dad did time in jail and um, my family, a lot of family members served time in prisons and jail and uh, there was uh, a lot of drug trafficking going on. Mm -hmm. um, My mom telling me that when she left my dad, uh, I was about six years old, uh, the straw that broke the camel's back is when they were setting up video cameras around the house. Uh, and a, kind of a South American drug cartel was developing, <laughs> and there was weapons and surveillance cameras, and that's when my mom said, "Okay, you know, this this is enough. We need yeah. to go." And this wasn't uh, small time. No guy who sells pot anymore. No, no, but, you know. no. This is uh, there were some serious things going. In fact, uh, my dad would use my younger brother and I to cross the border. Uh, to move drugs from the, the you know Florida and whatnot up up into Canada right. and across the border, say we're going to Disneyland. <laughs> we uh-huh. never went to Disneyland. <laughs> we ne- we ne- never went to Disneyland. My disappointment. Have you ever been? Uh, no, no, I haven't. Yeah, but I don't want to go anymore because it uh, <laughs> seems that it's a, a bad connotation.
0: <laughs> yeah,
2: um, but there was times where we got caught in the middle of drug busts even mm-hmm. in the United States. As, as kids. You as yeah, kids. Yeah, and I remember my dad getting arrested. I remember people that were in plain clothes all of a sudden pulling out guns. Yeah. And uh, and it was very confusing, very frightening as a kid. Um, and somehow, by God's grace, was able to get back to Canada without getting caught up in some kind of system in the U.S. Um, so I felt protected. And, yeah. Yeah, and so, you know, in that environment, um, ending up uh, first in the church... As mm-hmm. our family was like a project. Mm-hmm. You know, we were the troubled family. Yeah. And you got a sense that I look back now, we were like in youth groups and stuff, my brother and I got away with so much more than the other church kids because we were the project we were the bad kids you know yeah. but the, at the same time a lot of parents didn't want their kids hanging out with us because we were the influencers as well yeah <laughs> you know? we, we, we would influence kids and get them to do ridiculous stuff and so yeah. we were influencing the church kids and so the, but i think in a lot of ways they influenced us too uh, they made a safe space for us yeah, that, that was stable, that had guidelines and even rules yeah. um, where we could feel safe. But I digress. Um, the church world and then discovering chaplaincy and, and community-based work, mm-hmm. uh, getting my hands dirty in the community, I found a lot of catharsis. Mm-hmm. Um, that God was doing something more than just, uh, oh, here's some... Uh, you know, Christian pastor or chaplain coming in to save the day, right? You know, with you know right. Bible in arm, and and you know that's more like colonial, yeah, uh, reflections of evangelism and stuff that I don't think is what we actually see in the Bible
1: mm-hmm.
2: or in the Book mm-hmm. of Acts. Um, we see uh, Christians going to places and discovering that God was already there
1: mm-hmm.
2: and identifying the presence of God in the midst of people, right. Um, not going. I'm the one that now is the purveyor. Yeah. So um, if you had any
0: arrogance
2: as yeah. a 26 year old in a halfway house, yeah, I'm yeah.
0: sure, you quickly <laughs> smell, Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: yeah. I have. I feel like, always I have nothing to offer here. Yeah. But I am witnessing the presence and the movement of God mm. among uh, the most despised mm-hmm. and some of the most hated people in our society hmm it doesn't uh, get more hated probably than murderers and sex offenders yeah and yet that is where I experienced Christ mm-hmm. and um, and I wanted to be close to that mm-hmm. I wanted to be close to Christ yeah and uh, see there's what a, was up
0: here it seems like there's a uh, just a real <laughs> cultural famine of meaning hmm you know for a lot of people Uh, In the world, struggling to understand what does my life mean, you know, what what where I fit in, and Mm -hmm. and and to be able to um, walk with with Christ and meet Christ in Mm -hmm. that kind of environment, um, that can be very grounding, Mm can it? It it gives you a deep sense of meaning.
2: Yeah. There's also the possibility for deception, too. There's both. Yeah. Yeah. And this is something that I've seen being both the church world and the non-for-profit social, Mm -hmm. what I call the social work industrial complex. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Where, you know, pastors oftentimes, they'll get really disillusioned with the church. In, yeah. as a whole and be like, oh, this is done since we're not getting anything done and da-da-da-da. And so they go to more community-based work and they have this romantic relationship with it at first Right. that is very like, oh, this is what the church should really be doing and and it's all about this and all the churches are doing it wrong and da 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 And, and there's some yeah. merit in yeah. some of those criticisms. You really
0: captured that inflection well. Yeah, 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 yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Um, but the, it, but then you know um, what happens. You discover um, that there's assholes everywhere. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and and uh, sometimes the social work industrial complex wants to stab you in the back, yep. just as much as any church,
1: yep.
2: a, any church leader or le- elders or whatever. That that like assholes are everywhere. Yeah. and uh, and wherever people gather mm-hmm. and seek to do anything. There's always infiltrations mm-hmm. uh, that seek to sabotage the good work of God, mm-hmm. um, and I'm not talking about political correctness, I'm not talking about any of that stuff. I get asked by church folk all the time, so are you allowed to talk about Jesus, uh, you know, at the halfway house? Or I'm like, yeah. <laughs> what really you are? It's yeah. like you've been listening to the wrong podcast, man. Yeah, <laughs> you, you know, you think that the world's uh, against you or something like that. Right? Yeah. It's like how you enter into these spaces mm-hmm. and how you serve them uh, will determine whether or not people want to listen, right? And you know, ask you these So, in, in terms of you know navigating,
0: mm-hmm. uh, you know, as, as a Christ follower encountering sometimes the dark side of church mm-hmm. sometimes the dark side of social work. Mm-hmm. Uh, how does uh, a young man keep his heart pure?
2: <laughs> yeah so it's a that's a good question. Um, I don't I don't think that um, the question of like how do I keep myself pure can be asked outside of what Christ has already accomplished and finished. Yeah. Right, yeah. so you know, I believe that you know Christ has has made me pure
1: mm-hmm.
2: in Him, yeah, and and through that forgiveness, yeah. and now the question isn't protecting that as much as it is living into it, yeah, and um, experiencing it, yeah. and habituating myself Growing to into it, it. Yeah, I th- yeah, yeah, I would say habituating myself in it, right, um, and not settling for what some songwriters have called lovers less wild,
1: yeah,
2: um, and. But I think part of that journey is uh, your heart breaking
1: yeah.
2: and discovering what corners of your being um, you have yet to uncover. When we uh, encounter the broken and the poor, there is a direct uh, relationship to encountering Christ and then encountering the ways we have not surrendered mm-hmm. to what is already true in ourselves. Um, where there's pockets of resistance in our own being to receiving uh, Christ's mm -hmm. sort of uh, healing and insight and wholeness. So talk to me about the role of
0: forgiveness in your spiritual formation. How has this this great grace that that we believe in, Mm -hmm. that God forgives us, Mm And that we are called to a life of forgiveness. Yeah, um, sure. You've obviously there's there's a um, there's a journey through forgiveness yeah. throughout life, isn't there?
2: Yeah, um, I think it's first important, uh, especially for any of your listeners, viewers, to uh, that are interested in like social work or work on the ground. Uh, in relation to your question, is recognizing the power of transference and counter transference.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Transference being the effects that the the work of the ministry, whatever you're doing, has upon you, what it's doing to you, what you're taking with you, um, right. what ways you've been wounded by it, what ways that it's um, complying to your own complexes or own ego needs, yeah. um, you know, is important to understand. And if you don't understand them, it's going to cause trouble. Countertransference is when we're trying to work out our own problems through other people that we serve. Right. This is going to heal me. Yeah, I yeah, yeah. Fix you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, here's the thing. A lot of ministerial training and a lot of social work training say you can't have transference and counter transference. You gotta work all that stuff out yeah. before you get into it. And and I disagree. <laughs> Good luck. Eh? Yeah, I disagree. The reality is it will happen. Yeah. It's whether or not you're aware of it. Because either you are using it mm-hmm. or it will use you. Mm-hmm. So that is the step towards perhaps forgiveness perhaps some kind of personal wholeness when you're aware. I think it was like Carl Jung who said, until you make the unconscious conscious, it will direct your life and you will call it fate.
1: Mm.
2: Right, so there's all these things that are stirring around inside us. And and so when we encounter the broken and we want to either avoid them, Mm
1: -hmm.
2: uh, push them away, or try to fix them, Mm
1: -hmm.
2: we first have to recognize whether or not we're avoiding something painful inside us that this brings up yeah. or we're trying to fix them because we're trying to fix something in ourselves. Yeah. Right. So make it personal. Yeah. You got stories about that yeah. that you can share? Well, you know, I, I think I said that, you know, when you know I was hanging around the halfway house, it kinda of felt like I was hanging out with my dad. Right. And it was it was strange. Similar charges, but similar personalities, very mm. similar kinds of ways of interacting with the world. And it took me off guard at first but it was enough a distance that I could look at this person with compassion even though maybe I wasn't looking at my father with compassion right and more judgmental Mm -hmm. and angry Mm -hmm. but it taught me that mercy is not about you know just being like nice to somebody that's done us wrong but it's about fidelity to the image of God in them something deeper that's beyond their sins beyond their mistakes Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and so um, in this journey um, there's been a number of moments where when encountering another person uh, that reminds me of someone in my life right easy to make the transfer yeah yeah there's all of a sudden there's a transference and then how I treat that person is going to be a result of my own counter transference Mm -hmm. and I'll never forget um, the first person that I really spent meaningful time with that um, uh, committed murder. Mm-hmm. The very next day, um, the evening, I had a dream that I had murdered somebody in my life. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And I, and it was, I don't remember doing it, I remember the before of the relationship and then after And feeling overwhelmed with guilt Mm -hmm. and feeling like I need to hide the body and I need to do this and I need to do Mm. that and I remember waking up feeling so distraught Mm -hmm. and um, and then I realized something that there's unresolved business in my life Mm. that God wanted to address
1: Mm.
2: and that I was hanging on to Uh, a lot of bitterness and resentment towards my own family and people in my family that had caused harm Mm -hmm. and I remember going home one day and sitting down with this person around the dinner table and it had been years and years had passed since they had uh, committed these crimes and and made these mistakes and I said you know there's something I need to tell you Um, and I I need to ask for your forgiveness Mm. because I was planning on killing you and I never did it. Obviously, right? <laughs> Person's still breathing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I realized that I would hang. I was hanging on to all this stuff, and I need your forgiveness, please. Mm. Um, and I want to let you know that I love you. Mm. And this person obviously was really taken back, and also apologized for what they had done, and they were so distraught that it caused me that kind of anger and resentment right. and right. forgave me and I forgave them and it, and it healed our relationship mm. um, to the point where, uh, you know, we could see each other in a new way and have mm. a deep love for each other and to watch this person thrive and, and do well and, and discover God's calling in their life um, mm. and move forward has just been incredible privilege, but it started with the first person. Right. That that society would reject mm-hmm. was Christ to me. Mm. That started me on a path. But here's the thing with transference and countertransference. She's like, Wow, Riley, there's a lot of transference, countertransference going on there. I'm like, Yeah, <laughs> it's whether or not you're aware of it. Right. If you're not aware of it, if like Carl Jung says, yeah. it stays unconscious. It just yeah. wreaks havoc. Right. Yeah. But when you're aware of it, you can use it in a way that doesn't harm people. Right that it becomes a tool instead of you becoming a tool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, And I think that is so important, and that has to do with self-awareness. Many mm-hmm. urban ministers, anybody doing urban ministry, social justice stuff, mm-hmm. um, to be able to recognize that you are going in with all your own baggage and stuff, and you can't rescue people, you right. can't save people, um, but you can be present, and you can be sensitive to where God is already. Mm-hmm. And have the eyes to see it, to identify it, and to nurture it, and to allow it to, that that presence to thrive, and and mm-hmm. that has to do also with your own wholeness mm. and how God wants you to heal. Um, I think Jesus like mixes up roles and hierarchy all the time. Yeah. But he says, you know, uh, the greatest among you will be the one who serves. Yeah. Um, and that was a lower position, socially yeah. speaking. Yeah. Um, that people, the people that were sitting at the table were the well-to-do, the, the people that had the money, had the power, had the influence. And so for, Jesus say the greatest one is the one who serves, is the one on the low scale, on yeah. the low economic scale. We're
0: still trying to figure
2: that out, aren't we? Yeah,
0: absolutely. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, and I think a lot of times we're still trying to hide the body. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know, the, the things, that, the, the atrocity that anybody has committed mm-hmm. in life Mm-hmm. And the things you're ashamed of, yes. it's easy to want to bury that body, hide that body, sure, rather than recognize it, bring it into consciousness, mm. and
2: you know give it a proper burial. Mm. yeah, and I would say this happens on a, a societal level too, mm-hmm. um with, particularly with sexual offenders, where um they hold our collective darkness, even though as a society in a lot of ways we're we're Uh, responsible for creating the kind of environment Mm -hmm. where these sorts of things happen Mm -hmm. and uh, we don't always do well at protecting our most vulnerable people right and and we uh, seek to alienate uh, people that do struggle
0: so let's let's Mm -hmm. talk a bit about another part of your uh, um, work uh, vocation from Chaplaincy, the door opened. Uh, there's a psychotherapist, mm-hmm. uh, Paul Adams, in Windsor, who, mm-hmm. uh, for many years, uh, has run uh, programs for uh, sex offenders, mm-hmm. um, and uh, you got brought in to help facilitate groups. And mm-hmm. uh, how did that come about? And um, you know, let's
2: let's talk about sex, Riley. <laughs> <laughs> well, you might remember. Um, it, you know, I had to facilitate a group. I had the honor of facilitating a group on uh, Thursdays, and so I called Thursday Sex Thursday. That's right. Yeah, yeah. that's where uh, you know I uh, listened to people talk about sex, talked to people about yeah. sex, and I didn't have any sex. Single celibate. Right? <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Still. So yeah, it's it's a strange, <laughs> uh, a strange uh, uh, experience that you know yeah, I'll never forget, and it's very formative. Um, uh, sitting in a circle with you know 10 to 15 uh, men that have committed sexual offenses and uh, helping them do their work to understand why they did it um, to grow in their empathy towards the victims of the people they've harmed mm-hmm. and to establish uh, you know uh, these uh, understand their offense cycles and so that then they don't do them again. So there's the appropriate interventions in place
1: mm-hmm. for
2: themselves yeah. so that they don't do this kind of stuff ever again. And uh, it was a very uh, humbling experience and oftentimes difficult but also hopeful space. When I think of the seven years of facilitating this group every Thursday, um, I can I was like, like over 100 uh, men in the the area, Windsor area, that was able to uh, serve and help and mm-hmm. encourage a safer community. Ultimately, because yeah. I can count on one hand the amount of guys who reoffended. Wow! So over a hundred, you know, kind of came through and only like a five reoffended. Yeah, I can think of
0: five. That right. that totally goes against the narrative yeah. that you hear. Yeah. That, oh yeah, yeah. They they can't be cured. Mm-hmm. There's You can't change them, they're they're stuck like that.
2: Yeah, yeah, and uh, in some cases, that's true. And when it is, Mm -hmm. it's about risk reduction. Right. Right, Um, and risk management. And so a lot of these guys, even though they might have a propensity towards uh, a sexual attraction to minors or something, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, they don't also want to harm anybody. Right. So if their empathy is functioning, they recognize that this is a, Pickle that I'm in, and so how do we lower the chances of you reoffending? And you have the proper boundaries in your life so that you don't act on this. Hmm. Um, but then there's others that you know, every once in a while, somebody that would be a genuine psychopath or something would mm-hmm. come through, and and you know that oh, this is this is not good, yeah. but generally speaking, yeah, um, there's either these forms of regression where somebody that doesn't have. The uh, they have a they have a same age attraction. They're not attracted to minors, but they still did something against a minor, and they don't even understand why they did it. And okay. so the, the work, the group work, the individual work mm-hmm. is getting to the bottom of that. Um, and then the ones that do have that primary attraction towards minors, uh, it's about risk management and mm-hmm. sa- and safety, and and them buying into that plan. That you know that being a part of their own commitment, their own plans. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um
0: when it comes to what what do you think people need to understand uh first of all when we talk about us and them mm-hmm. you know and and something like um sex offenders it has such a a knee jerk reaction sure. in, in society and it should, yeah. and, and it, and it should yeah. because it's offensive yeah. but um talk to me. About, Give me some insights here. What what do we need to be learning, um, you know, as as people, as sexual beings? Mm. You know, what what are some of the deep lessons that you're, you you saw in that deviance or in that failure?
2: Oh, sure, yeah. Um, well. Yeah, there's there's lots of stuff I guess that we could talk about. Yeah,
0: um, I think well, let me ask the question. Yeah, you know, um, if somebody is uh, a, you know committing sexual crimes, uh,
2: are they often narcissistic? Um, well, yeah, I guess it depends what you mean by narcissistic, in the sense of just putting your own uh, needs or your what you think your needs are, your own right. appetite. Uh, before anything else, mm-hmm. even other people's humanity, yeah, that's, mm-hmm. you know, sure, that's narcissistic, um, but I think there's also uh, deep, profound uh, brokenness, Yeah, and that, you know, all uh, poverty and crime, all harm, is fundamentally about broken relationships. Yeah, I believe that. Yeah, uh, broken mm-hmm. relationships with the community, broken relationships with ourselves, mm-hmm. broken relationship with God, and... Um, broken relationships with our neighbors. Yeah. You know, um, and so, you know, you see that play out and harm uh, has a way of building on top of itself, creating Mm -hmm. more harm. Mm -hmm. But what it means to put the spoke in the wheel of harm Mm. is not to coddle offenders, not to say, oh, it's really not that bad. Um, There is accountability, um, but there is also um, uh, mercy. Right. And mercy is is not a more powerful person extending, you know, leniency. That's mm-hmm. not what mercy is. No. I know. Like might I be said, the opposite of yeah, mercy to be lenient. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, mercy is uh, the fidelity, like I said, to the image of God and people, mm-hmm. regardless or how, no matter how distressing their disguise.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and that's what we see in, you know, the Hebrew word chesed. Mm-hmm. Uh, when when you know the book of Micah says you know you know what, the Lord of God has you know these things uh, that he asks of you mm-hmm. to live justly to love mercy and to walk humbly with God yeah that love of mercy is you know the word has said and that's means covenant mm. uh, has said means covenant it's one of the most mysterious words in the Hebrew language in the Old Testament and um it means all it's translated all sorts of different ways in in, in English translations, um, but it means a fidelity to uh, covenant
1: hmm.
2: and it's this idea Honor, that
0: is it related to grace in the sense of honoring someone and committing to someone who doesn't deserve um, yeah, your approval
2: yeah it yeah, it just has to do with. I think the willingness to see the covenant that God made with humankind, mm. all people. yeah, um, Before their actions, their, their behaviors tried to tell them who they are, yeah. before the world tried to tell them who they are, there was something more essential mm. in the human person. And so mercy is the fidelity to that and then the response. What is the response? What does it mean to be faithful to the image of God and all people? Yeah. Even people that have done horrific, monstrous things. Mm. What honors the image of God in them? Mm. That is mercy. Yeah. What, what, what helps the image of God thrive in others? Right. In how we treat this person. So if we're putting people at risk, we're not honoring the image of God in them. Mm. If we're not helping someone work through their issues. But if we dehumanize and... Uh, ostracize and yeah. alienate somebody who's committed terrible offenses, we're not honoring the image of God in them. Right. Right. When we're just looking for blood, we're just right. looking for vengeance, we're just looking for a pound of flesh. Yeah. Um, and it will, interesting thing, it never really satisfies people. Right. 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 Um, there's never enough time that someone yeah. can do, there's never enough punishment. And I think it speaks to the flawed nature. Right. of our traditional justice system that is focused on sort of punitive mm-hmm. kind of correction but Not there's nothing yeah right. but there's nothing that you know, the science suggests that that actually makes the community safer right uh, punishment doesn't make the community safer yeah. places that have really high punishment like really severe punishments aren't actually places that have lower crime hmm. so in
0: that nietzschean idea that god is dead you know nietzsche said um when we dehumanize, when we fail to um recognize mercy and and honor the image of God in somebody, essentially we're we're God is dead and we killed him.
1: Mm. You yeah. know?
0: And and I think that's that's the uh aspect of the crucifixion too, mm-hmm. right? Is Absolutely, that, yeah. you know, um we can't blame uh, the first century Jews. We can't blame the Romans. There's something
2: in all of us mm-hmm. that kills God. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I think the interesting thing too is that uh, God knew that God needed to die. Yeah. And uh, there's a, a mystery there. Yeah. But perhaps our const- this is getting a little philosophical here, but I think it's important. Perhaps God knew that our constructions of God were unhealthy and in some ways kind of primitive and in the, in just like gods are just the ones that are angry with us and that war for supremacy right. and are insecure mm-hmm. and, and God is like that idea of God needs to go <laughs> yeah and so in the death of God fullness of yeah. God revealed in Jesus yeah. yeah and is like you know like my God my God why have you forsaken me mm-hmm. that God forsakes God in this moment Mm. and there is um, a fundamental death of a construction of God that's what, you know why I yeah. think the, the temple curtain was torn in two mm-hmm. and and that I think is a little bit of a play on words because the temple's torn yeah. and they look inside so they can see now and what do they discover nothing's there
1: mm.
2: and so it's a it's a democratization of, of God Right. It's it's the no 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 no. Like, you know God isn't just located yeah. here. You know the, the the glory of God fills the whole earth. Yeah. And in Christ uh, has opened that that door that access. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So you know when it comes to um, working with sex offenders, I think one of the things that it brought up in me is the darkness of my own heart. You know. Um, Because I'm in a lot of social work circles and I'm in a lot of Christian and and religious circles uh, One of the things that's kind of people struggle with in in all different spheres is like sin
1: Mm -hmm.
2: But I don't think there's a lot of good understanding of like what sin is There needs Mm -hmm. to be a better understanding Some people think of it as just this like this thing that makes you inherently bad Mm. And you're just we're all these little worms that yeah. you know that yeah. that deserve to be stomped on or something. Yeah, you know, It just kind of goes against the whole idea that God created us and called us good. You know, the Bible mm-hmm. serves with Genesis 1, not Genesis 3, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And, yeah. Um, and and then on the other end of the spectrum, people are just like, well, there's kind of no such thing, or this is an oppressive kind of primitive topic um, mm-hmm. that is just used to shame people. And yeah, sometimes it mm-hmm. is. It's a, just weaponized
1: mm-hmm. to
2: hurt people and make people feel less than. Um, but I think a, a more robust understanding of sin is what working with sex offenders and people that have committed murders helped me. Um, is you know, because it forced me to have to go. Well, what is this? Mm-hmm. What is this destructive force in the world?
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And what is this evil? What is? And it's beyond this person. Yeah, that Be- sit in front of me. I, I
0: I I I recognize that smell. Yeah, 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 yeah. And
2: I still love that person. I see that that God is working in this person's life, and in yeah. no way am I okay with what they did. Yeah. Um, but there's there's something here that we need to name. Yeah. And. Um, Brilliant. Yeah, and being able to have a better what I would say an ontology of sin mm-hmm. is important. Mm -hmm. that it's it's and we have I think we have too much we've been too influenced by our traditional justice system Mm -hmm. and so we latch on too much judicial language Mm -hmm. to the notion of sin Mm -hmm. though I think there's some of that in the scriptures Mm -hmm. the the far bigger picture of sin is that it is what causes death
1: Mm.
2: in all ways of life in all forms of life and it's more like a sickness that needs to be healed Mm. that sin is a disease yeah it's not something to use as a weaponized sort of battering ram or or uh, mallet to smack people around to let them know they're yeah. miserable. People already know that the world's broken. Yeah. Um, so there's this thing going around that's like, among Christian circles, it's like, oh, people need to know the bad news before they can know the good news. Hmm. And there's this need to like kind of... Uh, mold people into this agreement with these sorts of propositional statements. Yeah. When it's very apparent that people know that something's wrong yeah. in the world, you know, there's there's very few, few people that would go around and say, you know, everything's fine and there is nothing wrong. Yeah. You know. Um, but what is the nature of that wrong?
1: Mm. So
2: restorative justice asks these questions, right? Mm-hmm. Who has been harmed? Um, what is the nature of this wrong? What is? Let's name it. Let's be specific about it let's understand the harm and then what the needs are among people to uh, heal help heal that harm what can we do what are our obligations
1: mm-hmm.
2: i think it also has shined a, uh, shone a a light for me on the whole me too and church Too movement mm-hmm. uh, in north america in particular uh, and you know the the suffering of of women in particular uh, at the hands of men of authority figures all that kind yeah. of stuff um, the being on the front lines and listening to the stories of rape, yeah. listening to the stories of sexual abuse, and the ideologies that are that are entangled into the men in my group that gave permission for them to
1: act—I
2: see it. You know, this yeah. isn't a secret uh, uh, attack. On all men everywhere, (laughs) you know, to diminish the value of men in society. Mm -hmm. Um, There is a concerted effort, though, to be able to recognize and name harm that has gone unchecked, that has not been held to account. Yeah, and and to be
0: there's such a double standard in in our culture, isn't Mm -hmm. there, around
2: accountability? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. So, you know. You know, hearing about the stories and hearing what led to their offenses mm. and, um, and this it doesn't things don 't just happen like that there 's this build up mm. and uh, these these ways that uh, things aren 't addressed mm. people aren 't held accountable um, and or you know people aren 't nurtured in love through their own harm mm. they 're not heard they 're not listened to they 're not believed, and not everyone who's victims of sexual abuse become offenders then it would it would be astronomical like it would be absolutely insane but a small percentage do Mm. so
0: the prophets and jesus in portraying this vision of the kingdom of god uh one of the uh descriptions is of you know in in this um perfected kingdom a, a wolf and, and a child, mm-hmm. you know, being able to play together. Sure. Um, and uh, be, at, be in harmony, be at peace. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think, you know, restorative justice is looking for that kind of kingdom where the offender and the victim are able t- to both come to a new place, mm-hmm. uh, a, a place where they are free from um, the power of the offense, the power of the offense, yeah. the power of uh, the the, the yeah, harm yeah and the and the, and the, the, um, the the shame of vulnerability, yeah you know that I how could that happen to mm-hmm. me, you mm-hmm. know. Why didn't I stop? it? why didn't somebody stop? it? I was I was unprotected. Yeah. You also um, CBC did a did a documentary on on you and and a group that you lead mm-hmm. co lead with mm-hmm. with someone else at, out of St Leonard's House a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, talk about we've, we've talked a fair bit about those that we would say are are uh, more of the the wolf nature the offender, mm-hmm. but
2: what about the, the victims and, right. and uh, the group that you led? Talk about Yeah, that. so in my, in my journey in chaplaincy working with offenders, I discovered that there's all sorts of tertiary victims. So in understanding harm, which is the, the nature of restorative justice, there is this realization that there's all sorts of ripple effects when yeah. it comes to harm. And one of them is the family of the offenders. hmm particularly moms and partners of offenders. Mm-hmm. Um, gosh, moms do harder time than their, than their kids, you know, when it comes yeah. to going to prison. Mm. So as I spent time with family members and listened to their stories and heard their grief, I realized that, you know, they could really support each other. And at the same time... Uh, the parole office here in Windsor approached St. Leonard's house and myself and Jen and my co-leader mm-hmm. said, hey, you know, this would really be helpful if we had some kind of support group. Would you consider doing it? And, and I said, well, I've actually been thinking about it too.
1: Yep.
2: Um, so let's do this. And we started with three ladies. Um, uh, one was her husband gone to prison and then two uh, mothers.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And, uh, and and one other uh, uh, lady who had a, a husband who did time. And it just grew from there and became more and more effective in, in watching some of these ladies express their, their own pain, their own stories, when they've been silenced mm-hmm. by either the court system um, or they've been silenced uh, by their own loved ones mm-hmm. or been, they've been silenced by their own families, they've been fired from their jobs. They didn't do it. They didn't commit the offense, but yeah. there is this proximity that the culture feels to the offender mm-hmm. and that makes them almost contaminated mm-hmm. for some reason, even though it's not true at all.
1: Yeah.
2: And the, uh, and so they are ostracized, alienated alone, oftentimes very depressed. Um, they get their houses vandalized. Mm. They get their, their cars vandalized. Um, their their families make ultimatums mm-hmm. about either if you're going to be in their life then You're dead to us These Sometimes kinds of f- sometimes their partner yeah. is incarcerated. Yeah, it's yeah. very unfair to them as well. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely They yeah. bark demands at them over the phone and yeah. and uh, mist- mistreat them and uh, and so they are trapped mm. in this misery for mm. years and years and they feel no way out and you know, there's some, some ladies that have attempted to take their life, their mm. own life, and uh, to be with them through those things, to mm. um, give them space to validate their world, just to validate their own harm, mm. to say, I see you, I hear you, I am naming this sin. I don't mm. say it that way, but in light of our discussion, I'm like, yeah. you have been harmed. You have been sinned against. You have, yeah. been, you have been hurt. Yeah. And what can we do to help? Yeah, how can we listen? How can we support each other? What are the boundaries that we can make to help and help you make um, so that you can begin to live again? Yeah. And then to see the ladies support each other is oh, so profound, to see them smile again. Uh, but then also to see them work through their pain. Mm-hmm. Uh, to have the courage to name what was happening. Some of the ladies couldn't even say the name of their sons or their loved one wow. just to say the name wow. would, would is painful and mm. um let alone say what they've done and yeah. so you know we don't make major requirements we don't put a lot of requirements on them to speak or to share their story or anything like that just to agree to some yeah. basic boundaries in the group yeah and um and you know we we watch as uh their strength emerges or they discover mm-hmm. um, themselves through that process and a new way of being in the world um, and releasing some of the shame or some of the guilt. Right. We've talked a lot about self-forgiveness, particularly mm. with moms. Mm. They blame themselves mm. uh, for the awful things maybe their loved one has done. Mm if all oh, they just made different choices when they were young if they parented them in a different way if they just did this or just yeah. did that then maybe things would be different and uh, of course you know it that takes away the agency of the person who committed the offense so the, the process of forgiving themselves if they didn't make a mistake being kind to themselves but mm. also letting their loved one go mm. and that doesn't mean never having a relationship with them it means letting them own their own choices. right? right. And letting, letting yourself own your own choices. Yeah. That's a messy process, it's, and it's difficult mm. and painful. They're just the stories, Kevin, are, are just incredible. I, I picture
0: the mother of Jesus, Mary, mm. standing at, at the foot of the cross, mm. or near the cross, with some other women. And uh, John, mm-hmm. the disciple, Jesus' best friend, mm-hmm. standing there with Jesus' mother. Yeah. Jesus, the criminal, is being executed and she's she's an observer to his execution. Mm-hmm. And he looks at her and he says, woman, yeah. behold your son, referring mm-hmm. to... Well, yeah, she could see her son, mm-hmm. but Here's John. Sure. Woman, behold your son. And he says to John, you know, behold your mother. Here's this, intimate uh, intimate moment, intimate yeah. moment of um, the uh, horrific things that are unfolding. Mm-hmm. And in the midst of it, God makes a way for uh, Mary. Who mm. was likely a widow at this point? Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't see Joseph in the picture. Yeah. Her oldest son, Jesus, who was her support system, mm-hmm. now he's gone. Mm-hmm. And God, where are you? Mm. And God, where is where is my human connection? Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, and Jesus sees what's unfolding, and he says, "You know, John,
2: Mom." Yeah. Yeah, you know, here's a connection that needs to be mm-hmm. made. Reminds me of um, uh, I forget what the, if it's Isaiah or Jeremiah. It says, "God sets the lonely in families." Yeah, it's said sort of like right at that moment of the cross. Yeah, you know, God has set the lonely in families, even in the face of God's own death. Mm. And uh, yeah, yeah, that's that's uh, powerful, and I think I see that in you know the, these kinds of support groups mm-hmm. um, where people get to care for each other and. And create family community yeah. um, through validating and listening through facilitating and holding space for yeah um, the experience of other people and I think that's something that we struggle with right now in a yeah. culture is how do we hold space for other people and their own experience we want to dismiss people's experiences based on ideology yeah um, and as opposed to just letting people express their harm or letting yep. them express wherever they're at in their own experiences. We want to silence or quiet those voices down on both sides mm. of the spectrum. Yeah, um, and it's, our, it's our phony way of being nice. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And you know what, chaplaincy has made me less nice. Yeah. But it's made me more kind. That's better. Yeah. That's better. Um, it has worked through It's drawn out or untangled a lot of those things uh, in my life that I felt I needed to be or do for other people and uh, challenged me to... Uh, be a better expression of God's image in me mm-hmm. instead of just this kind of uh, butter spread over too much bread. <laughs> yeah, you know, from quote Lord of the Rings, uh, you know, that's just kind of like nice to everyone. Yeah. Uh, and and uh, that's what it means to be a disciple or something. Right. Um, uh, but it, it definitely made me more kind and more boundaryed Yeah. And, um, and and be able to see... Founded kindness. Yeah. 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 That's a good way of saying it. It Actually, you know, all this stuff reminds me of another quote. Mm -hmm. Um, Rabbi Schneerson, Mm -hmm. um, he said, uh, he's talking about the end of the world in Mm -hmm. kind of dramatic Mm -hmm. fashion. And he said, only the darkness must wind itself to its end, and it must be robbed of the treasures it holds. (laughs) For the most precious things of this world are held in darkness and that's why we must struggle with the darkness now and not run from it all the torment it gives us all our toil to overcome it to tame it and to dig out the diamonds it conceals
0: right now somebody who's paying attention to this podcast
2: just went <laughs> <laughs> yeah and they're hitting rewind <laughs> yeah that's that's what you know i think that's what i've learned you know and yeah. i see the kingdom of god as like Lightning bolts in the darkness. If you, if you take away, just use it as a symbol. Yeah. And you see it two dimensionally. It looks like tears of light in the in the midst of darkness. Mm. That's what a lightning bolt looks like. It's it's tearing the fabric of darkness. Right. And its light is coming through. Yeah. And I think the kingdom of God is kind of like that. Mm. Um, it is like these bolts of lightning in a two dimensional world mm. that is. Uh, Light trying to break through darkness because um, mm. these, these precious things are held in darkness, and we illuminate them right um, discover them, but we have to go to right. it right. you know it's like Bonho- Dietrich Bonhoeffer said that you know the life of a Christian isn 't about being immersed around friends it 's actually about being in the midst of enemies
1: mm.
2: you know and yeah. learning how to love our enemies. Mm. To pray for people that hurt us and hurt society, yeah. Because, yeah, I think in that moment we are transformed through mm-hmm. learning how to do that, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and we discover that we are often an enemy to ourselves, mm-hmm. and we are often in enmity with God and with other people. And so, to learn how to love our enemies is to learn how to love ourselves, learn how to love God, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, learn how to uh, connect with the things that are held in darkness.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Something else that intrigues me about you mm-hmm.
2: um, is uh, something some, else. Please tell something me. Something else. Do yeah. <laughs> tell. Uh, what else do you love? Count the waves. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay. So um, part of part of your life has also been a uh, in in the function of a pastor within churches, uh, <laughs> part of pastoral teams. Um, When I met you, you uh, were at uh, Southwood Community Church, which was, uh, I think, was it Fellowship Baptist Mm -hmm. at that time. Uh, Then you came uh, to work with us for a few years at New Song Church, which is uh,
2: Pentecostal. You're the chandelier swingers, right? Yeah, that's right. Frothing, frothing all the time. Um, Holy Spirit's the weird uncle of the Trinity kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, you got his pay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I went from the real stoic. Then, um, you know, yeah, to the... then you went to
0: then you went to uh, you. Know, you've had ministry at uh, Lakeshore St Andrews, which was kind of a um, uh, an emergent Presbyterian church that was kind of following the Willow Creek model for a few years, and then kind of outgrowing that model. Hey,
2: you too soon. Yeah, <laughs>
0: yeah. Outgrowing that <laughs> model. And, uh, and then uh, now you're an intern pastor at a Mennonite church. And um, so I would say you're very pan-tribal. Yep, yep, that's you know? true, yeah. Um, so true, yeah. Do, you, do you have a horse and buggy? <laughs> <Maybe>. <laughs> no. <laughs> do I wish I had one? Well, maybe, yeah, <laughs> who doesn't. Yeah. Um, so, okay, all jokes aside. What have you discovered as you've served God's people in various settings that sometimes have their own theological flavor or emphasis?
2: How's that? Well, it's been an interesting journey. You know, it really has. You know, I went to Catholic school. Um, oh, yeah. You know, I was yeah. the Protestant kid, you know, yeah. um, got sent to the office for asking questions in class, and, and then, um, you know, I served at some Fellowship Baptist churches, mm-hmm. um, uh, I've served at United churches, mm-hmm. served at Anglican churches, I, yeah. I, as you know, I like the robes, yeah. the, the clergy uh, outfits and stuff are fun. Um, this is like you uh, feel like a Jedi or something, <laughs> and uh, you know, and then other, other cases of you know served in uh, Pentecostal and mm-hmm. uh, Presbyterian and you know now Mennonite and so people ask me they're like so like what is with you like what is this stuff and I just say I'm just denominationally promiscuous, you know, but I'm historically monogamous. <laughs> <laughs> Wow, oh, man! I'm I'm monogamous. I am faithful to the listeners. Historic hit the rewind. Yeah, that's... Hit the rewind right now, listeners, <laughs> and don't edit out any words. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> you have to leave the full quote in because that could right. look bad. That's right. Okay. <laughs> um, the the experience of we'll catch it in post, Bill. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> right. The. The journey has been fascinating because I didn't grow up in a particular Christian tradition, right? Yeah. Just got exposed to the church as a youngster, particularly in recovery communities. When my mom went clean and sober uh, out of rehab and met my stepdad, they are in recovery.
1: Yeah.
2: And, and so that, that journey and like my first experiences of faith I was reflecting upon were the 12 steps. Mm. Um, you know, if that was uh, my confession of faith, mm-hmm. my doctrinal statement early on, it was mm-hmm. formative in my own life with the twelve mm-hmm. steps mm-hmm. and um you know that that was I really value that I value that a lot uh, yeah. in terms of my my own journey, and so for us, when we decided to go to church, it was like uh what are we looking for in a church? We yeah. had no idea. And so we sat down as a family and wanted, like got a piece of paper. It was like, what are we looking for in a church? And all that we could think of was that they loved us and taught the Bible. That was it. What a great starting point. <laughs> and that was it. Wow. And so we went to every church under the sun from really, really liturgical and yeah. and uh, structured to really, really charismatic. Yeah. I think I've told you before, like, somebody invited us to go to a church that met in the gym, and we didn't know anything about church planting and using yeah. facilities, so my I was like this isn't some kind of clown operation is it and uh, and, and and she clown said no operation. no 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 this is this <laughs> this is this, it's okay it's good you'll like it no yeah. joke we go on sunday the greeter at the door is dressed like a clown come on <laughs>
1: yeah, <I'm dead> serious.
2: <laughs> i don't know if there was some kind of, i don't know if there was some kind of like uh, I don't know, special service or kids program or something. But for some reason, the they were wow. like, wow, like this is, yeah, wow. yeah, this is something else. And well, the church wasn't for us, you know, it wasn't really. That wasn't. No, no, no. You not see yourself as clowns. No, so. no. But, you know, attending like meetings, even as a kid, my mom couldn't find a babysitter or something like that. Yep. And it was like a celebration meeting. I just remember all these nice adults sitting around in a circle talking about their feelings yeah. and me just eating cake and like. And my mom actually recently told us a story. She remembers like my brother and I just fell asleep under her chair. Wow, in, in a 12-step group. Yeah, in a 12-step yeah. group. Yeah. And I don't know how that was accepted, but it was seemed to be okay, you know, yeah. in the small town, Ontario. Yeah. And uh, she was doing her recovery work. Hmm. And we felt safe enough to, to yeah. sleep, you know, under uh-huh. our chair. And uh, I look back to uh, like a lot of fondness and appreciation uh, yeah. We wouldn't have got through it if it wasn't for believers that that really lived into the beatitudes of the 12 steps, yeah. lived into the, the principles underneath it, and s- accepted us into community. And so, w- so I think I've been able to find community in any Christian community that I've, you know, uh, mm-hmm. entered into. Uh, because if it as close, it reflects this historic faith that has been passed down. You were born adaptable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, think that's, I think that's really possible. And the other thing is, I love seeing the the angles or the nuances, yeah, of particular faith traditions, what they emphasize, and maybe yeah. what they underemphasize, yeah, or what their blind spots are, yeah, and what their strengths are, and being able to see that in all these different contexts and kind of live and move through these different places. <laughs> and amazing. Yeah, view. it yeah. it really is, and. And I don't know a lot of folks that are able to, uh, pastors and stuff that are able to speak in like Mm multi-denominational environments, but I think that's what we need. Mm -hmm. We need, especially in urban ministries, we need not only churches to collaborate together from different traditions, but we need people that are able to actually be amongst each other, having to actually have skin in the game and Mm -hmm. and be committed to a community. Yeah. um, And and, uh, among many and Mm -hmm. submit to them. And, and, mm-hmm. to, and to listen and to discern. Um, the value of community um, is not based on whether or not it's right in everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I really like, I think it's um, Daniel Berrigan, he said, faith is rarely where your head is at.
1: Hmm.
2: You know, our thinking, our ideas, right. the trends, all the kind of stuff. Nor is it where your heart is at. Our heart goes up and down, you know, our feelings are, you know, those kinds of things are all over the place. Faith is where your ass is at. (laughs) It's not where your head is at. It's not where your heart is at. It's where your ass is at. It's where you're planting your seat. It's where Where you choose, where it's where you choose to do life with other people. Mm. That is what faith is. Mm. It's choosing to walk with people. Yeah, and that you have something to offer them, and they have something to offer you, and to struggle through the tensions of relationships and what yeah. forgiveness looks like, yeah, what relationships look like. And um, Ronald Roheiser has a brilliant uh, quote on this like topic of the church, um, because you know, you know me, like I, I am a critic. You know, yeah. well, I can be a pretty like hard critic, right? <laughs> um, but he says that uh, the church is always God hung between two thieves. Hmm. No one should be surprised or shocked at how badly the church has betrayed the gospel and how much it continues to do so today. It had never done very well. (laughs) Conversely, however, no one should deny the good the church has done either. Um, It has carried grace, produced saints, morally challenged the planet, and made, however imperfectly, a house for God to dwell on this earth. Mm. To be connected with the church is to be associated with scoundrels, warmongers, fakes, child molesters, murderers, adulterers, and hypocrites of every description.
1: Hmm.
2: It also, at the same time, identifies you with the saints and the finest persons of heroic soul within every time, race, country, and gender. Mm -hmm. To be a member of the church is to carry the mantle of both the worst sin and the finest heroism of the soul Hmm. because the church has always looked exactly as it looked at the original crucifixion, God hung between two thieves. that's brilliant.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, it reminds me of a wedding I did one time here. Uh, there was a dirt poor uh, couple that uh, we uh, had in our orbit here at the church in our community, mm-hmm. um, and uh, they came to me and wanted to be married, and and uh, they're both, you know, on social assistance, and mm-hmm. but they pulled together to the best of their ability this this wedding and mm-hmm. and, and I remember standing in the hall here and uh, <clears throat> the they were a couple that would be, you know, normally fairly unkempt. You know, not a lot of attention went into uh, you know, uh outward appearance. Mm-hmm. You know, they 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 were uh like us on lawn cutting day, right? Right. You know, just normal, Mm -hmm. salt of the earth, down to earth people, you know. And, and, uh, but wedding day came, and out she came from the back with this gorgeous white gown Mm. on. Uh, She was toothless, and that day she had put her dentures in, and Mm. she had the biggest smile. It looked looked like a a cartoon shark coming down the aisle. You know, just these Big white <laughs> choppers. Oh, that's and wonderful. And, and they get up, and, and I'm just, I, I love doing weddings because yeah, yeah, yeah. You, when else do you get to get that yeah. close to covenant? Yeah. yeah. You know, and best intention. Mm. And, and so there, he's standing there, and he's tearing up, and he's looking at her, mm-hmm. and, and I'm doing the ceremony, and I ask them to join hands, and I look down, and this woman, who has done everything she can to beautify herself has dirty fingernails. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. And I said, That's the church. Yeah, yeah. She's she's the bride who's trying really hard to look good. Yeah, yeah. And she's got yeah. dirty fingernails. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. 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 Riley, it's been yeah. it's been so so uh good to be with you and mm. uh Talk through some of these things. Um, If people want to get in touch with you, Mm -hmm. um, are you uh, available on social media?
2: No, no, I don't want anyone talking to me. (laughs) 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 Um, uh, Yeah, I am. Yeah, Um, well, Riley McLaren. uh, My name is spelled R-I-E-L-L-Y. Right. um, McLaren M-C-L-A-R-E-N. So you can look me up on Facebook or at Riley McLaren on social media. Not Mac. Mick. Yeah. Yeah. Nick, not Mac, yeah, um, and so um, yeah, so that's the best way to find me or Riley McLaren at gmail dot com yeah. is a way to get in touch with me over email. Yeah, and I want to thank you, Kevin, because um, you've been such an influence on my own journey. You oh, know, thank in terms you, Riley. of accepting me here at Newsong, you know, among our monthly crew, yeah. and uh, helping me find my voice. Mm. You know, that I think is a, a big takeaway during my time pastoring here at New Song is yeah. finding my voice and people being patient enough, yeah. you know, <laughs> um, with my long sermons and and uh, me to, you know, playing around with, you know, ideas and scripture and to really get to the heart of something um, and, uh, and really sending me to St. Leonard's as a, as a missionary in a mm-hmm. lot of ways, mm-hmm. and all the connection community connection and collaboration yeah. and everything yeah. it's just I, I think back with so much fondness uh, on yeah. the ways that it equipped me and empowered me and uh, I have no doubt that you're still doing that in, in amazing ways and and, uh, and oh, uh, thanks. I'm grateful to uh, be the
0: uh, mythology mythology about me is uh, much more enjoyable <laughs> exactly. than the reality so thank you
2: <laughs> yeah yeah and thank, you know thank you for doing all
0: this stuff okay mm-hmm. well i hope that riley has uh, stretched your heart you know to belong to this kingdom where the lion can lie down with the lamb that is uh, an incredible incredible philosophy to live by And uh, that's uh, that's why we follow Jesus, because we believe that Jesus has the keys to that kingdom. Not only that, he's handed the keys over to us and said, okay, go ahead boys, go ahead women, unlock some doors for me. On our next episode, we're going to interview Adam White. And Adam, uh, in addition to being uh, the youth pastor that works with me at New Song Church, he is also the chaplain at the Salvation Army Center of Hope in downtown Windsor. Now um, Adam, uh, at about age 13, had run away from his home. He lived in a small town north of London, Ontario, and for a few days he was on the streets. He was also uh, addicted to uh, drugs at that point. And, and, uh, but uh, fortunately, that part of his life uh, had a dramatic turnaround. And uh, today um, he is uh, serving uh, people who um, have many, many life struggles. And uh, so uh, join us uh, for the next episode. And uh, you're gonna um, hear Adam White. Uh, I interviewed him last year. And uh, just an incredible um, thing that uh, God is doing Uh, in a young man. You know um, when uh, when uh, Riley started as chaplain he was 26 years old and uh, Adam when he started working as a chaplain was 26 years old and an incredible thing to think that uh, people in their 20s can have such a profound impact on people that are sometimes twice their age or more and uh, we need to know who the next generation of urban leaders are. And uh, so I hope in the days to come that I'll have a chance to talk to uh, many young leaders that are emerging across Canada in urban centers. Well, until the next time, I'm Kevin Rogers, and you've been listening to Sidewalk Skyline Podcast.